welcome to the Fierce Authenticity Podcast. I'm your hostess, Sharani M. Batak, and I teach you how to have amazing relationships by doing one simple thing. Dismantling supremacy culture's internalized oppression and conditioning. Be sure that you've hit subscribe to the podcast and come on over and join me in my private newsletter community where I have a collection of specially curated tools to get you started. Simply visit www.sharanimbatuk.com slash connect to get started. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest, best-selling author of the book, You Are the Medicine, Asha Frost. And before I share more about her with you and read you her official biography, I do want to just speak about our conversation just a little bit. The conversation that you are about to hear is filled with such potent and powerful medicine, and yet it is so sweet and gentle and nourishing in nature. And that is simply the energy that Asha brings to the work that she does and how she helps us return to ourselves and be in relationship with ourselves and others. And in our conversation, we talk about so many things, everything from tokenization. Uh, she is an indigenous medicine woman. And uh, with the launch of her book, she's been invited on to many podcasts and into many different spaces. And she shared about how there's this very somatic feeling of tokenization that she experiences in some of these spaces and how absolutely damaging it is. And she speaks about the feeling in her body, how it shows up, how it appears. She speaks about how how we can be conscious and intentional in the work that we're doing, in the spaces that we're creating, and how we're showing up in spaces, and how we show up and be in brave spaces that also feel safe, and how to be in those containers. We spoke also about things like experiencing the trauma of residential school and working through all of the trauma, both our own personal and some of the ancestral trauma, not some of, but a lot of the ancestral trauma also as we are working towards reclaiming ourselves and reclaiming our medicine and what the process is like. And, you know, it's it's really funny because there comes a point in our conversation where we speak about the fact that this, this process is not easy. It's actually quite painful. And she shares a little bit uh, more about her book and how it's really about the returning home to ourselves and that reclamation that truly is a big task for us. We talked about being extractive, being exploitative, how we can walk in repair. We talk about recovering from systems that expect so much of us and how can we be in right relationship with ourselves and others, which of course, my friend, you know, is what we're all about here. And 
Towards the very end, she shared something very sweet about being an elder and how being an elder isn't about age, but it is about the wisdom that we hold. And she leaves us with this very powerful reminder that in all of this, our ancestors are supporting us. They're cheering us on and they see what we're doing and they're here for us. And it's like I said, there's so much beautiful and potent medicine that is shared in this conversation. And after we hopped off the call, we debriefed briefly and she said one of the most beautiful things. I mean, she said so many beautiful things, but one of the most beautiful things I've heard is she acknowledged the invisible work that we are doing. People like her, people like me, people like you tuning into this podcast, and that it's that invisible inner work that we're doing that is laying the foundation for the future generations to come. And my friend, you know that the practices of fierce authenticity and what we speak about here is very much about how we set the stage to create the new legacies, legacies that are not based in pain and trauma and suffering and exploitation and oppression, but legacies that are based in true connection and belonging and being in right relationship with ourselves, with source, with others, with the land, and so much more. So I am so excited for you to listen into this conversation. And I truly invite you to listen, not only with your physical ears, but also to listen in with your heart and listen in with the energetics of it and sensing what it is that you are feeling, experiencing, and noticing. So here now is her official bio. Asha Frost, she, her, is an indigenous Ojibwe medicine person, mentor, space holder, and seer. Her life's work is to help you connect to the medicine that has always been within you, the spark, the illumination, the power. It's all there waiting to be seen, felt, and claimed. Asha is an enrolled member of the Cape Croker First Nation. She is an Anishinaabe medicine woman, spiritual mentor, ceremonial speaker, and best-selling author who believes wholeheartedly in the power within to heal our bodies, our spirits, and our lives. As we, the Adun, Anim Kika, She, who walks with the Thunderbirds, she is able to clearly see one's presence, power, and medicine, and invites people deeper into their wise knowing. As a member of the Crane Clan, her facilitation style empowers, uplifts, and inspires with grace and deep love which, my friend, is exactly what you are going to feel when you tune into this conversation. For 18 years, Asha has practiced as a homeopath, medicine healer, and soul seer. She is the best-selling author of You Are the Medicine, published by Hay House, and her oracle deck will be released next year in 2023. Of course, all of the links on how to connect with Asha are in the show notes. And with that, I introduce you 
to Asha. Enjoy this beautiful conversation and hop on over to Instagram and DM us or screenshot this and tag us both and let us know what most resonated for you, what most stood out for you, struck you, or just was a moving moment for you as you are listening in. Okay, my friend, enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to introduce you today to Indigenous healer and medicine woman, Asha Frost. Asha, I would love it if you could get us started today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So I have some medicine here actually that I've lit because I always want to bring that into our conversation. And I wanted to acknowledge that I'm on the lands of the Anishinaabe here in Wendat and Haudenosaunee peoples. Acknowledging the spirit of the land beneath my feet, everything the land has seen and experienced and felt, and also the truth that we're still here. We're still here and we are still walking our medicines in the world in a really powerful way. So that's something I want to acknowledge too. And also introduce myself traditionally. My name is Nadve Wakaganokwe Indishnikaz, healing rainbow woman. I am from a nation Agaming and Dunjaba from Cape Croker First Nation, and I am from the Crane Clan, Ajijakdo Dab. And it's so lovely to be here. Yes. And thank you so much for accepting my invitation to join us here on the Fierce Authenticity podcast and to share your powerful medicine with our community. We have circled in several different communities together. And so to be live on the line with you today is is such a gift. So thank you for accepting the invitation. My pleasure. Now... We were speaking offline, just kind of touching base, and you mentioned that there is something that's really on your heart today, and I would love it if you could just share with us what's on your heart today. Hmm. Such a beautiful question, an invitation. I, you know, it's been a week. It's been a week of interesting occurrences, I think, since the book came out. It came out with a blast, and it's been such a beautiful, like, it's been received so well, and I'm so grateful for that in so many ways, and shared, and folks have, like, responded to me, or, like, shared with me what's touched them, and that's been so amazing. And then, of course, with that comes an up-leveling of boundaries that I knew, like, in the background, I was like, this is going to happen, but you don't know how it's going to happen. And because you can't anticipate what might come your way in those ways, I just could feel that something was coming. So that has hit me this week where there's just requests coming my way and I'm always open to requests and they're beautiful and opportunities. And a lot of them are riddled with tokenization, can I say, or they're just dampened by tokenization. And I guess I want to speak to how harmful that is. It's so hard to to speak of it because I don't want to stop the opportunities coming my way. So it's like one of these things that I struggle with. Like I want the opportunities where I'm being seen and honored for my medicine to come my way, not the opportunities where I have to prove myself Mm. over and over again for the medicine that I offer into the world or not opportunities where I'm in a space and the people on the other co-creation side don't really have any interest in investing time, money, energy, any of their resources, I guess, into our relationship. So I find that really challenging. And so I'm going through that right now. And I think that it's really important for us to talk about, especially in these industries where I am in a marginalized voice in a very white-centered industry, and especially the publishing house I'm at, that typically tends to have way more white voices there. 
So I already start as a token and now it's just sort of like amplifying. So I'm having to look at boundaries this week. Yeah. Well, and you already, I'm just like, boom, you've already taken us straight into the medicine because you've spoken about that tokenization. And then also that having to prove yourself and that people are not really interested in investing in the relationship because this very transactional nature is what I'm hearing that it's just the word extraction is coming up. Like, how can we extract from you and say, look, we've got our one indigenous person. Yay. And I'm glad that you brought up the demographics of the publishing house that you're with. And let's just, I know I introduced it earlier in our pre-interview segment, but I just want to say you're a best-selling author at Hay House. And when I saw that, of course, I'm so excited for you. And I had that thought. I was like, does Hay House even have any other Indigenous authors on their roster? And uh, we don't have to go there if you don't want to, but that is something that we have to think about, especially as we think about tokenization. And can you share with us what your definition of that is? Because we could speak about it in general, and what does it mean to you? Wow, that's a great question. And I will speak to Hay House does have some Indigenous authors, and I think they are trying to expand their diversity across those. I think it's one of those things of like when you actually see it and you see the truth and you start to make those changes, but those changes take a long time to make because the institutions uh, are just, they, it just takes a long time to turn that around. And I think that tokenization, you know what, it's the feeling, like that feeling, it's just a feeling in my bones. And I will say it's actually a shaking, like I will shake, I will feel tears stuck in my throat. And it, you're right, it's when the relationship is transactional. And it's something that you can just sense right away. It's like, this isn't really about you, about you building a relationship with me, or even trying to build a relationship with Indigenous communities. This is about you wanting to check a box, you wanting to say you did something good, and it's just so clear. But the problem is, is when you're speaking to somebody, to a person of color, to an Indigenous person, you're doing that harm in the moment without having the consciousness or the awareness before you get into a conversation with them. So I love how you brought up transactional relationships because I think if we could be more conscious of what our intention is here, be really clear before you get in a relational conversation with somebody, then you're not going to do as much harm or hopefully any harm. So that's really important. That's feeling raw for me this week. But I think it's a really important conversation to be having and be reflecting on. And we all make mistakes and mess up at different times. But how can we make repair? How can we start to do better? Yes. Oh, you just sent chills through my entire body. First of all, just listening to you share so openly and vulnerably. And truly, thank you for sharing with such level of intimacy with our community. What's up with you? I mean, that is exactly what the practices of fierce authenticity are about. It's about showing up and allowing ourselves to be seen so that we can experience true connection. And so I honor you for feeling the safety of the space that's been created here and in our community to be sharing so openly with us what's on your heart. And I just want to pause right there because it just feels so tender, especially as you were speaking about how for you it's this felt sense 
And it leads to this shaking and these tears that want to come when we think about this tokenization. And a large part of the upgraded version of fierce authenticity includes somatic work. It includes the wisdom of our bodies. And it includes just all of the genetic encoding that's in there from our ancestors, right? Both the struggles and the celebrations. And so when I hear you speak about the shaking that comes up and the tears, like I just get this sense that this is so deeply ancestral and so deeply epigenetic as you're speaking about it, right? Because for hundreds and hundreds of years, and the way I speak about supremacy culture is that it even goes beyond white supremacy. To me, the white supremacy of Eurocolonization is only one tiny fragment of the larger picture of supremacy culture in general. And I have traced it back to what some call the original colonization, which happened in Sumer based on the words as we know them, right? Written word. I have no idea anything about indigenous communities because it wasn't written, not in the way supremacy culture wants it to be, right? And so to me, like, I just feel this sense of that shaking, this very somatic experience, this very real sense that is waking up in you as you feel that tokenization, as you feel the transactional nature, as you feel the extraction and the, okay, great, we've checked the box. I remember when Brother George Floyd was murdered and then all the companies started doing these initiatives, right? And then they're like, look at us, we're so diverse, while they're still paying their people of color like a fraction of what they're paying their white-bodied employees, right? So there's just so much here and... And I am going to stop talking and take a breath and just turn it back over to you. Well, all of this, all of this and more, like I just, I, it's such an interesting world we live in, especially as we interact online, you know, and as all those big things came up, you're right, 2020. And then as you see hope, I mean, that's what happened for me. I was hopeful thinking, oh my goodness, everything I've been talking about for the last two years is finally, people actually care. And then it happened again with all the Indigenous children being unearthed, like coming up, the graves being found. And then all of a sudden, everybody's talking about it. We're so devastated. We're so heartbroken. We're so shocked. And then it just, again, gets just pushed underground. And that's the thing. If you're so shocked and you're so heartbroken, you want to do something, then when you ask an Indigenous person to come for your event, pay them. Do not ask for free labor and do not ask them to prove themselves. Like if you're trying to build a reconciliation energy here, how do you step forward in that? How do you not be extractive? How do you not be capitalistic in your approach? Like how do you decolonize your words, your meetings, all of it? Mm -hmm. And I think that those things are so vital right now. And that's the work that's not really being done in a lot of the spaces that I'm being introduced to. And that is a little bit devastating for me because I was hopeful. Yeah. Well, and I'm just like over here like, you are speaking my language. When you received the invitation about what we do here on Fierce Authenticity, there was a part of you that was feeling so excited and, and in a way refreshed, right? Because the other communities that you've been invited to participate as you're sharing, they're not necessarily at the level of depth that we are here on Fierce Authenticity. And I was just listening and my heart is like, ah! 
are speaking the same language and this is wonderful and amazing because there is this expectation of free labor, right? So not only are we people of color, we're women of color. And so that's like extractative free labor times like a gazillion, right? And we could go down a whole rabbit hole there. But what I'm thinking of is when you speak about the experience where the indigenous children, you know, you called it the unearthing of indigenous children. And I just want to take a moment to pause here before we continue and truly honor the souls who had been brutalized and murdered. And not just the souls, but that these were these teeny tiny little children. And I just want to pause here to honor and acknowledge them and pay them the respect. It just feels really important that we do that. And as I do that, I truly feel in my heart just that pain. People did this to children and all the other horrors that go along with it. And what I'm thinking of is my mentor, Milagros Phillips, and she's been a guest here on the podcast earlier this season. And I just think about how she teaches. When she teaches about healing from racism, she speaks about how white bodies, they will feel that shock and they'll feel that. And then they go into their space of kind of making it about them, right? Like the woe is me. Now someone come here and help me feel better. And then there's back into that denial because it is so painful for our human psyches to truly turn around and face all of the harm that we have done and that we continue to do because this isn't completely something of the ancient past, right? Like this is something that continues to occur. Yeah. And I always think it's interesting. Like That's always at the forefront of my interactions is to not do harm. And I probably have done harm before and I hope that I've tried to make amends. I just, I'm always just curious about that. Why is that not at the forefront of everybody's relational agenda to just come into a space and create a brave space? That's what I felt when I got your invitation. This is going to be a brave and safe space for me to show up in my fullness. I don't have to temper anything. I don't have to hide any parts of myself. I don't have to show up in supremacy culture to try to fit in or assimilate to that. And it's something that I'm just realizing more and more I've done my entire life just to survive. And I'm kind of done with that. Like it just, I can't continue on this way because it's killing, it kills my spirit and it harms my body. Mm-hmm. So this is like a really important conversation and I'm glad we're having it because it needs to be shared more. And that shock and that awe, and you're right, it's like always the fragility comes up after that. <laughs> and, then, and then somehow the fragility gets dropped on our laps and it's too much weight to bear. It's too much to carry. So I literally want to feel like I'm a sieve. <laughs> fragility comes my way and it just like woo, goes to the earth and just is transmuted. Oh, what does that mean to you to be a sieve for that fragility? Give me more language around that because I want to feel what that feels. And yeah, tell me more about that. Well, I think for it, it always comes to boundaries is like so important. It's something that I'm learning um, as the book has come out. I've, I've been working on it for a lifetime. <laughs> Being a little bit more strong in the boundaries of what I'm willing to take on and what I'm willing to listen to and take into my body because it affects my body. So I could either see it as passing through me instead of it sticking in me, which I think is really important because for a long time, I think I take it in. I take it personally, I take it in, and then I have to do something with it in my body, transmute it somehow. And that's not my role here. So I'm ready to just like let it pass through. 
Oh, I love that. Thank you for defining it clearly because I wasn't sure what was like going through the sieve. And what I'm hearing you say is like all of that stuff that's not yours to carry that you thought was yours to carry and transmute, right? And the fragility is a part of that, that you are now allowing to just not mine, not mine to carry, not mine to process, not mine to do the labor, and there's this thing that's, um, it just, it feels like it wants to be said. So I'm just going to say it. We truly do others a disservice when we do for them what they need to be doing for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's a part of where the boundaries piece comes in, right? Is knowing what's ours to do and knowing what's not ours to do. That's so powerful. And I think we know that in our minds. And then you get into these spaces where you are in these I don't know, spaces where you want to succeed and you want to be uplifted, you want to rise. And then it's like, at what cost sometimes? Sometimes that that means like, oh, letting down some of those boundaries, which it's really challenging. I've talked to some Indigenous author friends about this, about what we've had to do in order to get to this place Mm. that other people would not have to do. I remember one of them was talking about how somebody, she could only get white authors to endorse her book because that's just the way it was because they are the ones that were the most well-known. They had sold the most books. They are the ones that the publisher wanted. And then people wouldn't read her book because of that. Well, you only have white authors endorsing your book. But the reality is those are the people that have had all the privilege to get there, to be able to do that, to be the bestsellers, all of the things. So we don't think about those things when we're accusing people or judging people or sometimes these are the things we've had to do to even get visible. I'm thinking back to something that you started with, like having to work harder, having to prove ourselves, or at least feeling like, you know, we have to do that. And then now hearing like the direct evidence of how that actually physically, tangibly shows up and how much harder that people of color in general, and then especially indigenous peoples who there's been and continues to be so much erasure of indigenous people and now here we are and you know it's so interesting that you shared that story with some of your indigenous author friends because as I was looking at your thing I was like oh look you also have a lot of endorsements from white-bodied individuals and not that there's anything wrong with that because I looked at the list and I was like oh yeah these are all Hay House authors for the most part right like best-selling Hay House authors and then I saw some others and I just want to back up and say like this is not a reflection of you at all but just a reflection of the the waters in which we swim, as Temo Kun and Kenneth Johnson have called it, the waters in which we swim, where it's so pervasive. And, you know, you mentioned about doing harm and that we, like, there's been times where you've unintentionally done harm. And there's definitely been times where I have unintentionally done harm and worked on making my amends. And and there were times where I wouldn't have thought twice about that. I wouldn't have looked at that because as a South Asian Indian woman, and more specifically, like, as a Indo Fijian woman, people like me are even like less to come by, I feel like. So I've never even thought about looking for people who look like me on endorsements or testimonials or things like that. And as I started to become more aware on my own process and in my own adventure of recovering from all of the internalized colonization and internalized oppression and internalized supremacy and the internalized racism that, you know, results in all that, I now pay attention to those things. Because it helps me see, like, is this going to be a safe space for me? Am I going to be allowed to show up here in the fullness of who I am? Or, like you said, am I going to have to tamp myself down? In my experience, being one of the only women of color in many, many spaces, it has been harmful. That's the truth. 
And I've also grown so much from using my voice and speaking up in those spaces, which has been so powerful for my journey. Just to shift the dynamic and the status quo and to say, this isn't okay. That's been like a really powerful part. So I'm actually sort of grateful for some of those spaces, just being as they are, because that was an opportunity for me to really feel into that and feel the harm of it too and how, what that can do. Oh, I just feel the sweetness and the tenderness of that and the appreciation for the experience being what it was to support you in the way that it supported you. And something that you said, I can't even remember what it was right now, but you just said it and it made me think of your book, You Are the Medicine, and how we've been disconnected from it as a result of everything that's transpired. And we'll just name it supremacy fucking culture or fucking supremacy culture. Yeah, let's name it like that. Let's name it that way. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That is the thread of the book. I mean, I speak a lot about residential school trauma and what that's done in my own life to the disconnect, like breaking, breaking connection to language, breaking connection to medicine, breaking connection to ceremony. The thing is, when that is broken in such a harmful way, an abusive way, that abuse sticks around, right? It sticks around to the cords of DNA that are coming through to the next generations. So then you feel a lot of shame about the reconnection process. Am I worthy of practicing these medicines? Am I worthy of even learning my language again? And there's that much shame that goes through those threads, right? So the book speaks a lot about that that returning and how challenging it can be when colonialism has basically tried to wipe out your people, that attempted genocide of a people, of everything that they knew, that they identified with, to reclaim that is a big task. Yes. And then I think that people have been asking me, well, what is it exactly does that mean? And for me, it's like, I have a lot of leaders and teachers like I honor all of those beings and ultimately I've had to come back to myself because sometimes those images of the missionaries the priests the nuns are so strong like whipping children whipping my grandparents or like cutting our hair off or doing all these awful things that I had to come to terms with the relationship of the medicine within myself otherwise I would not have been able to reclaim the medicines of the past because I wouldn't have felt powerful enough to do that yes And I, again, just feel like pausing here to really let that settle, just like the trauma, the abuses, and how the reclamation process really included coming into acceptance of this very real part of the past. And to me, that acceptance part. So I've borrowed and adapted um, the three A's from the recovery community, and it's awareness, acceptance, and action. And to me, I've always struggled with the word acceptance. And every dictionary definition I looked up, it's like, oh, this is why I hate the word acceptance, because it's like that you're okay with it, right? Is what every definition came up with. And when I saw the antonym that's when the word acceptance finally made sense to me because the opposite of acceptance is rejection. And so when I put it in that context, like even every time I say it, my whole body is like, it takes that sigh because it's not that I'm saying I'm okay with what happened. It's that I'm saying I am no longer rejecting the reality of what is or what has happened. I am no longer rejecting the way supremacy culture wants us to reject it and wants us to continue erasing it, saying it doesn't exist, right? Like I am no longer rejecting the reality that all of this happened and continues to happen. 
Ooh, that's powerful. I love that. And what a process that must be. I mean, I'll share for me personally, I'm in this space, you know, the past couple years actually since the podcast was born. And it's a really fun fact. This episode is publishing. It's going live a week before our two-year birthday for the podcast. And this podcast has been a large part of my process of reclaiming me and my medicine and who I am and my gifts and everything. This has been a big part of the process and journey. And my hope is that it supports listeners in the same way. And currently what I am in is looking at how I still do at times hide my medicine, where I do hide how fucking powerful I am (laughs) and the medicine I bring in terms of like I don't know, astrology. So Pluto conjunct moon is pretty prominent in my chart. And they say that that's like, I looked it up, all astrologers I know were like, oh my gosh, that's such a powerful placement. And I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? And so I looked it up and it said like, you're either an exorcist or a depth psychologist. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a little bit of both (laughs) because I very much like my work is very much about going into our deepest, darkest shadows, going into the spaces and places that we have pushed aside, like really um, when fierce authenticity. 2.0 or volume two, I don't know what it's called exactly yet, but when that second book comes out, it is truly taking us into the inner depths of the human psyche and all of the horror and pain and traumas that we have inflicted upon ourselves and each other by participating in these systems on an interpersonal level. Because there's this idea that when systems out there change, then everything will be okay. No, that's just another oppressive practice to believe that when systems out there change, we'll be okay. My background in training is that in social work. So I think from a systems perspective, the system will change when the people within it change. And so we have to dismantle all of the internalized stuff that shows up in our interpersonal relationships because it starts at home. It starts at the grocery store down the street. It starts at the Starbucks, right? Like this is where it all starts, not up here somewhere on a policy level. So where I'm at right now is just recognizing like how I still do hide those parts of me in some ways because it does feel scary. And a part of the reclamation work that I am directly in right now is healing from my own spiritual trauma and spiritual abuse. Because I had a grandmother, I literally, I just realized that this week, like I knew that there was spiritual trauma with the ways that my grandmother channeled the divine. And it was really fucking scary for a four-year-old to witness. Like there was no context around it. There was this like, oh, the goddess has come over grandma. We got to go see what the goddess has to say. And it was terrifying. So that was my experience with my grandmother. And then my mom would ignore the gifts. She would ign- like, nope. I like, yes, I can sense things. I can see things. I have premonitions, but nope, I don't go there. So when me coming into my own gifts of that being able to see, experience, know, right? Like just that part of me awakening, it's in my DNA. But what I am at right now is recognizing like, oh, what I need to come to terms with and accept and no longer reject is how scary it was for that little four-year-old to witness her grandmother like that, right? And it is to release, like to heal and release that part so that I can show up 
knowing that it is safe for me to show up in my medicine, knowing that I have cultivated a skill set and a tool set that my grandmother didn't have the opportunity to cultivate because of systems of oppression and being cut off from the culture and the tradition, right? She didn't have that. And so tangent, but I just felt really inclined to share that that's how it's showing up for me right now and that this process is so real and that I want to avoid it at times. It's so big sometimes. And so I shared all that along the lines of just the work of reclaiming our medicine and reconnecting with the traditions. Yeah. And I think, cause I think that, I mean, I write about that in the book because I think that people can just think it's an easy, not an easy process, but <laughs> I, I think it's painful. Like I think it can be painful because you're going through the cords that are traumatized. And then if you are one who is going to break these cycles and reclaim medicine, it's not that we have to take it all on, but somehow there's some responsibility on our shoulders <laughs> to be that one, to transmute it in some way. You know, I just got very clear recently that I'm not transmuting it through my physical body anymore because I've gone through so much chronic illness that I can't do that in my physical body anymore, but I will be here to redirect it or do ceremony with it or do something with it, but I'm not moving it through my physical body anymore. But it, it's not as easy as like, oh, what did your ancestor practice? I'll just take that. It's like, just going through all the layers of that, which you talk about, I think. You're so right about the systems part too. Like, we think that they're just going to change magically. We don't have to do any of that work, but that like internal work and unraveling all the colonial blocks. <laughs> Go ahead, say it. Bullshit. Just say it. <laughs> it's so hard, but like that is, that does ripple out. But imagine we were all doing that it would change the systems. We're not, and then we're not just wishing for something to just magically change because that's not going to happen. Which is what makes work like fierce authenticity and makes the practices of remembering that you are the medicine so important. And so tell us more about the book. Upon my reading, it looks like a balance, it sounds like, between personal story and ritual and also honoring and respecting. Uh, so tell us more about the book. Yeah, so the sort of the really important part is giving the reader an opportunity to practice with Indigenous medicine with reverence and respect, because we spoke a little bit before we got on here about appropriation, but appropriation was such a hot topic like two years ago, right? Everybody was like, <laughs> I mean, I wrote this letter to a white woman that wants to be like me and it, it went viral and then everybody was angry and people were trying to tell me that their past lives, there were all these, like they were Cherokee princesses and all these things. <laughs> And themselves to me and that just opened cracked open something really huge for me of this like disconnection like mm -hmm. people are simply searching for connection and really what they're doing is they're being extractive about it right they're being colonial about it they want to take they feel entitled to it so we need to bring some awareness to those things that i feel like people are just doing unconsciously so the book starts really there of like, how can you see who you're taking from? How can you see the, how you're being extractive? How can you see how you're feeling entitled to just take whatever you want and your positionality on this earth? How does that lend to that feeling? So there's a lot of those issues threaded through a lot of personal story. Also, a lot of storytelling. When I was a child, we, we learned from legends. So I wanted to make a legend at the beginning of each book more like a childlike, like creative, because I believed when I heard those legends as a child that the trees talked, the flowers talked, the animals talked, because that's what my mom would read me. So I just thought, oh yeah, they all talk. 
they do too, you know, they do, but it was like, I wanted to bring that into the book. So it has some storytelling legends mm -hmm. and then it has some practices for more modern day, I would say, based on all of the training I've taken and the, the self-work I've done of like what has been helpful for me in becoming more compassionate, what has been helpful for me in walking with repair, what has been helpful for me in all of these situations and slowing down and untangling from this system that tells us we have to go all the time. All of those kind of things that I've learned are in the book. And I can say I honestly poured, people are like, what are you writing next? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> I poured everything into that that I knew how to pour. I guess that must be part of my personality is like, go big. <laughs> Just go big, do it all. I'm sure there's more words that will unfold at one time or another. But that's, it really was like, this is what I've learned so far in my life. This is all in here. And how can we do this? How can I be in right relationship with these medicines? Because I think that so many I will say it, so many white women have not done that and they haven't even been aware that they haven't been doing it. So it's not even their fault. They're just shocked. Oh my goodness. There's, I should be respectful of using sage. Like, sorry, that's my white, that's my white woman voice. <laughs> but that's sort of the thing, you know, and to be fair, so many in my community, I have a lot of white women in my communities. They are the ones that are doing the work. They are seeing, like, it's, I write this and, right? I find this harm over here. And there's these incredible women that want to come to help Indigenous people and to care. So many. Mm, and that element of care, like when you say that, it makes me think of so many conversations we've had on this podcast about care and community care and really taking care of each other. And you keep saying repair, and that is such an important part of this work because we've been taught how to sever relationships. We've been taught how to be extractive. We've been taught how to be exploitative and extractive, but we haven't been taught how to repair. No air to sit with discomfort. Like I think that that's what comes before repair. We feel we've harmed somebody. They tell us we feel the things. For me, it would be like sick to my stomach. My heart's racing. Oh my gosh, I feel so bad. But that's where we stop. Then all of a sudden we shame and we shut down. But what if we could feel through that? Know that like everybody makes mistakes, have compassion for ourselves, let that pass through. Then what could happen? Like a whole portal for repair opens up because then we're still in relationship with that person, right? We're just... That relational, again, we talk, we come back to relationships because that is everything to me. Yes. Everything is about building relationships. <laughs> everything is about heart to heart, spirit to spirit, you know, eyes to eyes. And I say like some of these things that have happened online over the last two years, if we all gathered in a circle, it would have a diff very different outcome. I just know that the medicine of a circle would contain, create a sacred container for everybody's voice to be shared. And then we would have a portal for repair. Yeah. And it wouldn't just be in its own little vacuum. I'm like, I'm so angry. I'm so angry. I'm so fragile. I'm going to puke that on you. Like, it's just, that's what's happening. The dynamics is, it's just so much. And that's what we're around 24 seven. Yeah, which is a part of the design. I mean, that's built by design. That's what supremacy culture wants us to do. It wants us to go into shame and blame. It wants us to point fingers. It wants us to not take responsibility and accountability because as long as we're pointing the finger at each other, we're not looking at what the actual problem is. 
Because the actual problem isn't you, me, or that white woman who like didn't acknowledge the the sacredness of sage, right? It's that's not the problem. The problem is this larger system um, and this entire systemic structure that's been around for hundreds of thousands of years. Actually, I don't know if it's hundreds of thousands, but at least fifty five hundred years that it's been around. You know, and and you said something I love. I'm just over here doing a happy dance. Like listeners, you can't see this, but I am literally doing a happy dance as Asha is talking about how everything comes back to relationships. And I love how you spoke about the supremacy culture based inclination to bypass the discomfort and jump straight into an action. I mean, that three part process of the three A's, that's a part of that acceptance A. Not only is it we're no longer rejecting the reality of what is or what's happened or what is happening, it's also, and I get to sit in discomfort. I get to feel all the feelings. I get to be in the messiness of it. And supremacy culture hasn't taught us the skills for how to sit in the discomfort. So we always want to bypass it. We go straight from an awareness to an action, straight from, oh my gosh, I did something wrong to let me do something to fix it. And no lasting solutions come from it. When we bypass that entire, Brené Brown calls it the messy middle. When we pass, you know, bypass and jump over that entire messy middle process, none of it happens. And then all repair becomes performative. It's just this thing that we're doing or, or it becomes a way to cover up the discomfort that we don't want to feel. And then it just leaks out and oozes out somewhere else. Right. <laughs> yes. There's so much, there's so much potency being shared here. I think just from our experience and also from the work that we're doing, right? Because I believe that both of us are very intentional about also being like unwinding our own bias, our own internal oppression, our own internal racism. All of that stuff is so important to me to do that work. So I'm not here saying I've got this all down and I'm the teacher of this. Like there's no way, even in my book, it's like, I am with you. I'm in circle with you. I'm doing this relational work as much as I can, but just join me. I'm just like, just join me, please. (laughs) And I love that sweet, gentle invitation, right? And that I'm not the expert. I'm not your guru. Like I am right here in this circle with you. And it makes me think of something that my current editor was challenged with um, as she's working through my first draft is she's of the second book. She said, yes, I'm getting the transformation, but I feel like it's still missing a clear guide. And I was like, okay, now that I can contemplate, I can like meditate on that. And the shower is where I get some of my clarity. And so I was like, I'm going to shower right now. Let me take it in the shower with me. And literally, as soon as I turned on the faucet, the answer came that you are the guide. I am not the guide. I am simply here sharing information, sharing experiences. I am walking the path right here with you. But like you are the expert in your own life. You are the guide and how counter culture this is to supremacy culture that pedestalizes a guru, that pedestalizes someone outside of us, some person, place or entity outside of us that has all of the answers, right? When really it's just about coming back home to ourselves. Oh my gosh. I like, I'm eating because I'm working my Oracle deck now. It's it's out next year. Yay! And I'm, card, and I'm writing a card. It's the Elder card. 
And that was something that my editor challenged me on is like, so much of your work is about coming home to the reader's self or coming home to their own medicine. And I was thinking, well, yeah, that's my message. So she had invited me into a different offering about this elder card. But when I think about it, my greatest elder and teacher is my mother. She is my elder. We have a beautiful relationship. And also there are elders that are from different backgrounds that I consider elders, but it's not about their age at all. It's about the wisdom that they hold. Like you're an elder to me. I believe that and I see that. But for some reason, I think that colonial supremacy is always overlaying that. And in all honesty, a lot of elder relationships I've had actually have been abusive at times. So that's been my experience. Mm -hmm. So then it's really hard for me to subscribe to this notion that all elders are in their integrity, that they're all wise ones, that they're all like, it's just, that's not been my experience. So Mm -hmm. shaking up that guru, like these persons (laughs) above me, all of it, right? It's like, I think that we still have that thread going on. These people know more than us. They're the teachers, they're the leaders. And I just think that just needs to be dismantled. Not that we can't have guides. I believe that too. I learn from so many people. But as you say, I'm with you. And it's just like, okay, my message is still relevant. (laughs) Absolutely. 110%. Your message is still relevant. And I want to back up and say, thank you. I received that um, when you said that you see uh, me as an elder. I just want to pause there. I don't want to I don't want to do the supremacy culture-based thing of dismissing it. And thank you. I received that. And it makes me think of how, yes, it's always about returning home to ourselves. And we don't do it on our own. We have the wisdom of those who came before us. We have the wisdom of the elders um, to help support us because without them, we have no foundation, quite frankly. Like sometimes when I speak with my clients, I speak about building a house on sand. It is not going to stay. The wind will blow, the the house will fall over because the sand moves, but we have this foundation. I can't remember, maybe it was Audre Lorde who said this, but there was an important activist who said something about like standing on the shoulders of those who came before us. I didn't get here by myself. No. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely not and I, I haven't got here either even like my community yes. like I, in, in this book launch I'm like I keep saying that everybody's like well you work so hard I'm like I did and I would not be here without my community who's uplifting and assisting and coming like that those relationships mm-hmm. I feel like I can say that actually without my community I wouldn't be here And I love, 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 love that you say that because I am also always just talking about the power of community and that power of support. I mean, like I mentioned when we began, we have been in circles in various different communities together. And it just makes me think of how supremacy culture wants to keep us separate. It wants to keep us divided. It wants to keep us isolated and alone, because that is how supremacy culture continues to win. That is how it continues to stay upright. That's how the systems stay in place. And when we allow ourselves to be in community and to receive that support and to support others also, because it's not just about us receiving, it's about also helping to hold and uplift those with whom we're in community. And there is this magical thing that transpires where all of a sudden the weight of all of it isn't just on our shoulders, 
It makes me think of when I was young, there was this mural painted next to the train tracks. It was probably like the transformer boxes or something, but there was this wall that that was behind and there was this big rainbow and it says it takes a village to raise a child. That's what it makes me think of how it truly takes community for us to be, do, have anything in this world. Yes, it takes a village to birth anything, to create anything. It really does. I'm in awe and in deep gratitude for that community. And I'm just grateful for the reciprocity too, because that's such an important part of my own value system. And it does flow back and flow forward, right? It's just constantly moving, which is just so beautiful. Yeah. Yes. And now I am at that point where I'm looking at the clock and whenever I get into these potent conversations, I feel like we go into a time warp and then time is just like, bloop, has escaped us. And so I would like to ask you, is there anything else that is on your heart today that feels like wants to be shared with our listeners? I think from what we've spoken about, it it comes back to that message about you being the medicine and if it feels scary or frightening to reach back into some of that ancestral pain in any ways the things that you want to retrieve or reclaim just know that your ancestors are here dreaming that for you and supporting you and so is the earth so if if you have that fire within you to do that i think it's very important work at this time on our planet yes oh that's such a powerful message to leave with And now, Asha, how can our listeners find you? Where can they buy the book? Tell us all the deets. Where do you hang out? Where do you play? How can they connect with you? I'm mostly on my Instagram. It's asha.frost. And the book, there's like an accompanying um, 13 Moon Ceremony Guide that I have as a gift. If you want to get that, it's at youarethemedicinebook.com. Um, and that's just if some folks wanted something to do like the the ceremonial moon circle with. So that's a really beautiful offering. But yeah, if you want to connect with me on Instagram, I'm there the most. And just taking, you know, going through cycles of just launching. So I'm just in and out of space right now. Yeah. And please do follow Asha because she shares ceremony and she shares her medicine quite potently. And if you haven't already tapped into that, the medicine that comes from Asha is just so sweet and so gentle and so fucking powerful all at the same time. So definitely find her, follow her, learn from her, and get the book. You are the medicine. And so Asha, again, thank you so much for joining us and sharing a part of yourself in your most fierce authenticity with us and our community. Thank you so much. I want to take a moment to honor and acknowledge the amazing support team that helps make this podcast possible for you. Starting with Diego Velazquez, our podcast editor and the talented artist who created our custom music. Ana Olvina, my wonderful assistant who creates all of our beautiful graphics and the transcript of every episode, which you can find over at www.fierceauthenticity.com. Biana Sandich, who writes our amazing show notes and does it so well that I bet you couldn't tell it wasn't me. The talented Jillian at Epoxy Studios, whose photography is our cover art and pretty much every other curated image that you see of me on social media. 
my husband, who puts up with me when it's 11.30 p.m. on a Sunday night, and I'm like, hey, babe, I gotta record a podcast episode. Like, right now. Is that okay? My higher power, whose divine wisdom flows through me to bring these messages to you. And last but not least, I want to thank you, my listener, so much for listening in. If you'd like to join the podcast support team, some ways you can do so are by rating and reviewing the podcast, sharing it with everyone you know, and if possible, making a financial contribution through the link in the show notes so that you too can be part of the team elevating this podcast and making it possible to bring to other listeners like you. I'm sending you so much love and we will be together again soon. (laughs) 